Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. As we, church, come to chapter 34, we must remember that nine years have passed since chapter 33 to chapter 34, okay? So nine years have passed since that fateful day that Esau came to welcome Jacob home. Do you guys remember that? Now, if you recall, Jacob was downright frightened, okay? He had left things in such a mess 20 years earlier You remember, he had stolen the birthright with a bowl of stew. Now, I understand, Esau played a part in that, right? He really didn't care much about the spiritual things, and he comes in, he says, I am starving to death. And he says, hey man, give me your birthright, and I'll give you some stew. Been cooking all day, smells good, doesn't it? And Esau's like, yeah, I don't care about a birthright if I'm going to die, and so he steals the birthright. But nonetheless... Jacob, right, took basically the firstborn's birthright. He stole that. He, 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 he stole the blessing, if you will, took the birthright, stole the blessing from Esau. You guys remember how? By pretending to be Esau. Okay, he goes in, and so he left things a mess. And so Esau, guys, if you remember, was so steamed that he vowed, as soon as dad dies, you're going to die. Okay, he vowed that I'm going to hunt you down. I don't know. I wasn't there. But can you imagine the exchange? He's so steamed. You stole my blessing. Oh, what do you mean? Why would you do that? Listen, as soon as dad dies, I'm going to hunt you down. But not only are you going to die, I'm going to make you pay. I mean, Esau was steamed, guys. And he promised to kill Jacob. So Jacob leaves, and he leaves to Padanaram, if you recall. And he's going to hang with Uncle Laban for a while. Go, to, go, go, go see my Uncle Laban. You'll be fine. Stay only there a few days. Well, while he's there, remember what happens. There he met both his wives, okay, and concubines, if you will. Rachel was the first one that he loved, right? Rachel was boom, 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 boom. He loved Rachel. Leah comes in, okay, and Leah was, uh, was given to him. You guys know the story. Then he had the maidservants called Zilpah and Bilhah. So he's got four wives, if you will. And uh, while he's in Padamaran, you guys remember, Jacob had 11 boys. Well, Pastor, I thought he had 12. Well, Benjamin is going to be born on the way going back, as God called him back. So he does have 12 boys. But while he's in Padamaran, he has 11, but he also has a girl. Okay? He has a little girl. And so now, now these two sisters are, and, and all of these people are having, and these concubines are having uh, baby wars. It's like, I have a baby. No, I have a baby. Well, a little girl's born, and they name her Dinah. And you go, okay, okay, why, why, why is that important? Well, please understand, again, it's going, to be, it's going to be important to our text, okay? And she's briefly mentioned in chapters earlier. Now, Dinah is going to be one of the main focuses of our study tonight, so kind of keep that in mind, okay, Dinah. Now, let me take you back for just a minute. Chapter 33, we saw the forgiveness of Esau, okay? In verse 9 of chapter 33, it says, But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And then in verse 11, it says, Please take my blessing that, that, that I brought to you, because God has dealt gracious with me, and because I've had enough. So he urged him, and Esau took it. Now, in verse 11, if you recall, this is where we see that Esau had forgiven his brother, 
Okay, there wasn't any ill feelings. And, 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 and really, you can write in your Bibles, if you don't mind, he says, this is where he says, I forgive you. It's okay. Things are okay. I'm blessed, bro. I got enough. It's good. So 20 years, God has been working on Esau. I'm not saying he's a Christian. I'm not saying he's a believer, but God has been working to where he offers forgiveness to his brother for what he's done. And then two weeks ago, we actually studied in depth of chapter 33, but we looked at verses 12 through 20. So here's what we need to do. We want to look at verses 12 through 20 so we get a good feel for chapter 34, okay? So we're going to use these kind of as a run and go. It says then in verse 12 of chapter 33, you guys can just listen or you can read along with me. Then Esau said, let us, make, let us take our journey. Let us go and I will go before you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are weak. And the flocks and the herds which are nursing are with me. And if the men should drive them hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please, let my Lord go on ahead before his servant. And I will lead on slowly at a pace which the livestock that can go before me. And the children are able to endure until I come to my Lord in Seir. So right off the bat, we see... Everything's forgiven, bro. Let's go. Let's go back as a family. And Jacob is still a little leery. Now, the text doesn't say, but you can feel the, you can feel the weight of it. He's like, listen, I'm not, I'm not real sure about this whole deal. You know, I've been hanging out with Laban. Laban's been really crafty and deceitful. Yeah. He says, let's, hey, listen, we'll just go at our pace. We'll go at our pace. We'll meet you there. We'll meet you there. Y'all, y'all go on ahead. Okay, and so Esau says, okay, but hey, how about this? Verse 15, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But Jacob said, what need is there? Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. So Esau returned that day to Seir, and Jacob journeyed to Succoth, built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth. And Jacob came safely into the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, where when he came from Padanaram and he pitched his tent before the city and he bought a parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamar, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel. So catch what happened here, okay? Jacob says, man, I'm going to meet you in Seir. Esau says, no, 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 I'll leave some of my men to protect you. Jacob's like, no, it's okay, bro, go ahead, I'll meet you there. So Esau goes to Seir, okay, which is really Edom. If you go with us to Israel, you'll, we don't go to Edom, but you can kind of see it's down on the bottom, opposite side of the, of the, we call it the Transjordan of the Dead Sea. That's going to be Edom area. He's going to go back home. Okay, and he says, no, I'm, I'm going to meet you there. But, but what happens is Jacob goes to Succoth, right? And Succoth means booths, and it's kind of right in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, the sea of Galilee be in between the Dead Sea. So if here's the Sea of Galilee and here's the Dead Sea, he's going to come, remember from Padanaram, he's going to come right here, and he's going to hang out right in the middle, okay? He's going to stay there, but he doesn't stay there, okay? He's going to go, okay, I'm going to travel another 20 miles, if you will, West, and I'm going to end it in west of Succoth, and I'm going to go to a city called Shechem. Okay, that's where he's going to end up. That's where we left it off two weeks ago. Now, the one thing I wanted to bring up is because we saw that, that first and foremost, Esau forgave Jacob. Jacob reconciled with Esau, but what happens is Esau goes home to Edom, and Jacob comes across 
crosses over to the Jordan. He crosses, he goes to Succoth. So they're, they're, they're miles apart. Let me show you how it would look. Here's the Sea of Galilee, right? Here's the Dead Sea, okay? East, uh, Jacob would be here, but Esau would be back in Edom over here. So they're, they're quite a bit of distance. You go, Ben, what's your point? Here's my point, guys. When it comes to forgiveness, here's the one thing we need to just put in our hearts, okay? Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that the person you forgive is back in your life. Sometimes we think forgiveness means, oh, well, we got to embrace them and we got to walk as bros and we got to, you got to come over to my house. And we, it's sometimes forgiveness is, it, it's not that. It's, it's okay. We forgive. And it doesn't mean that you go, oh, man, I wonder whatever happened to them. Here's what forgiveness means it's the start of, guys, in your heart, you've let that offense go. You've let that offense go. Because Esau, listen, Esau's not going to be going, I wonder where Jacob went. He should have come down. Let's go find him. He said, man, I've, you know, we've reconciled. We made things right. He's supposed to be here. I'm going to get on with my life. Do you guys understand that? And it's a heart issue. When it comes to forgiveness, guys, it's a heart issue. And here's what we need to do. You need to live your life, and Jacob will live his, knowing that both forgiveness and reconciliation happened. So that's key. That's key because we see that they separate. Now, let me give you a quick note, okay? It says, then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And when he came from Padanaram, he pitched his tent before the city and he bought, notice what he says, in Shechem, he bought a parcel of land where he pitched his tent from the children of Hamar and he bought, so he buys this land. So, so here, here's, here's what's going on. Jacob is planning on staying at Shechem. Okay? Why? Because the Bible said that he buys some land, and we're going to see later on that he builds a home, right? So he, he doesn't want to wander anymore. He doesn't want to t- nomad. He's not, he, he wants to kind of settle in, buy some land. I'm going to build a nice house. I'm going to build some, you know, we're, going to, we're, just, going to, we're just going to kind of plant ourselves. But he's planting himself, guys, where? In the land of Canaan, right, which God says is going to be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob's. This is yours. Your descendants are going to be forever. But right now, they're still filled of Canaanites. We still got some Canaanites in there. Okay, it's sort of like this. It's sort of like when you get saved, God takes you out of the world, and now you're a Christian, but you still live in the world, but you still are not part of the world. Okay, and so you have to be sensitive. Why? Because we don't live like the world does. We don't live like the world. The Bible tells us that we need to. We are a peculiar people. That we need to be what that, that we need to be salt and light, and that, and that we're the we're the the church, the called out one. And, and so we're different. He calls us. We're different. He says, "Be holy, for I am holy." So he calls us to be holy. These are things that you and I we have to embrace in the Christian faith. Okay, these are things I I, I love the world. I'm, I, I love ministering. There's people in the world that I want to see come to Jesus. Okay, I'm not I'm not immune to the world. I don't go out and oh I I can't go I can't go to Applebee's because it's the world. We don't do that. But what we do is we got to be careful, and I'll show you why. And show you why in the text. Okay, we'll look at it now. So Jacob is planning on staying at Shechem. Hamor is the king of Shechem. Okay, he's the king, and, and, and so nine years later, okay, nine years between chapter 33 and 34, something awful happens. Something so bad that some might wonder why it was ever put in 
the Bible. And so if you're taking notes and you want a title to this message, you can jot this down. Living as Christians in a violent world. Living as Christians in a violent world. Why would you say that, Ben? Well, guys, for tonight, we discover some applicational truth on how we are to conduct ourselves in an ever-changing, violent world. Now, here's something you should know. You go, what's that? When I started thinking about what happened there in, in, in Shechem to, Dan, to, to, to Dinah, and all, I said, okay, so Lord, Lord I, so I Googled. I got on my computer and I said, okay, Lord, let me, let's just talk, let's just, violent crimes in Lubbock. Violent crimes in Lubbock. Okay? And the source came up, uh, according to best places to live, this source came up. And this was just, and I'm giving you this just as FYI, okay? FYI. Crime in Lubbock, Texas, according to best places to live. And again, I don't know how credible the source is, but here's what it says. Crime is ranked on a scale of one, lowest crime, to 100, highest crime. Now, here's what it said. It said, Lubbock violent crime is at a 46.4, where the average, the U.S. average is at a 22.7. And I sort of went, what? This is my city. What? Violent crime. Okay, now, now, okay, now here's the thing. It says Lubbock property crime, okay, is at a 66.9, where the U.S. average is at a 35.4. And then it goes on to say this, quote, violent crime is composed of four offenses, murder, okay, and um, non-neglect manslaughter, okay, forcible rape, robbery, and aggravated assault. These are what is constituted, guys, a violent crime. He says, property and crime includes uh, burglary, larceny, theft, motor vehicle theft, arson. The object of the theft type offenses is taking of money or property, but there is no force or threat or force against victims. So so again, I was thinking about this and I was going, okay, so, so we're pretty high for violent crimes. And Bethany's looking at me like, I should have never moved to Lubbock. You know, I mean, but, but, but you think about it, it's, this is just FYI. Why? Because, again, we, we do live in the real world. And we have to be so careful that we're not caught up in a facade. Of, I mean, I love our city, guys. I, love, I, th- I feel like it's safe here. I feel like, I feel like you can go to the grocery store at night. But we got to remember, we're still, we're still living in the world. And so we have, think about this. Think about what it said, 46% where the national average is 22. Now, again, you you, you got to put into place, there are some places that are just really nice, Mayberry type of places that they've lowered the, right? There's no crime there kind of thing. But, and I mean, and, and so it all balances out. Pastor, your point? Here's the point, guys. We, we just have to be careful because we're not immune to the violence in our city. We're not immune Listen, I moved here 16 years ago, and man, I thought I found one of the safest neighborhoods I could ever find. It was so cool. It was next to a park. All everybody there was, man, just just homeowners, and, and it was just the coolest thing, man. It was the coolest thing, especially coming from New Mexico in a, in a, in a larger city. But what I find now is that I'm, the other night I walked out to my car, and un, un, I forgot to lock it. You know, and I walked in my car and I see all my papers on the floor and I see my thing opened up and, you know, I mean, somebody was in my car in the middle of the night looking for something. Now, I don't have anything, but sometimes I'd leave my wallet in there and thank God. So, so you know, I mean, didn't that just kind of, you guys know this. You're just like, man, I, ugh. 
Somebody was in my car. What are... And we got to be careful. So we're not immune. So the question is, if we're not immune, how do we live as believers? How do we live? Well, let's look in God's word, guys, tonight. Let's look in God's words and pull out some truths and just talk about it as to help us in our walks with God, okay? So picking it up in verse 1, we continue in our series. It says, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, when she, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. Now, guys, look at that. That seems pretty innocent, doesn't it? Well, here's Dinah. She's like, listen, we're living here. I'm going to go out and see. But here's what you need to know. First and foremost, let's, let's pull out the name. What does the name mean? Her name means vindicated. Vindicated, Okay. And uh, basically, to, to be vindicated means to clear someone of blame. And so I, I'm not sure how her name ties into any of this, but let's go through. And uh, what we need to know is this. Most commentators believe, and I tend to agree, that uh, she was born to Leah and Jacob and has to be about, they say, between 14 and 16 years old. 14 and 16 years old. Here's this girl, Okay. Now, here's her thing, man. Here's her rap. She's born, right? She's living in Shechem, and it says, and she went out to seed. You guys see that? Underline that phrase, and you go, why? Because that phrase means she's purposely, purposely wanting to engage. Here's a 14 to 16-year-old girl going, I want to see the, I want to go see where the, what's going on, man? In my day, we used to say, where's the parties? Where's the, par- where's the parties, you know, and, and well, who's having a party? Let's go. And, and we would try to engage. This is what, and so Dinah wants, 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 wants to do that. She's purposely wanting to engage. And here's what I want you to think. I want you to put on your thinking caps because the land of Canaan, of course, and the occupants of the land, we need to understand that they are ungodly Canaanite people. They're ungodly. And the women there, church, was just as ungodly as anyone else. So now you've got your 14-year-old daughter wanting to go, hey, where, 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 where are the girls at? Where, where are the party? Where's the party girls, man? Where the, you know? I'm going to go down Depot District. What's going on? I want to see. You're 14. Get to bed. You should still be playing with Barbies. I'm not playing with Barbies. I want to see what's going on. This is kind of the, the mindset of the text. And Jacob, like his fathers before him, had chosen really to settle outside the cities of Canaan because he understood that, that, that he was to remain, what, apart from these cursed people. And yet we read, the text really reads, Dinah goes out to make friends with the daughters of the land. The daughters of the land. You go, well, Ben, what, what kind of truth can we apply? Well, I think we can apply it as parents. And then we can apply it to ourselves. Come on, give me an amen, because here's what, we, here's what we can... We have to be, we must be so careful who we allow our kids and even ourselves to hang out with. And, and you go, well, pastor, uh-uh, time out. We're supposed to be Christians. We're supposed to love people. Yes, I get that. But, but here's the thing, guys. Here's the things. First and foremost, man, we, we, listen, I'm agreed. Let's win the world to Jesus, but let's not make friends with the world. Let's not love the world. Man, here's why. In my life as a pastor, I've seen so many people be pulled back into the world than then pull them up. And if you have a daughter that's 14 years old, if you have a daughter that's 15 year old, if you have a daughter that's 16 year old, she has the heart of a 16 year old. 
She has a heart of a 14-year-old. She doesn't have a heart of a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old. You, you understand that. It's naiveness, and she wants to go out, and she wants... I, we understand that, guys. We were all there. Hey, I want to see the world. I want... Why? You know, we want to do this. But there's a, there's a beauty and sometimes of ignorance because, because the Bible says that we need to be ignorant of things that are evil. So what would cause us... Let's just stick with us. What would cause us to be drawn to the world that way? Guys, we see it every day. We see it in our social media. We see it on television. We see it in movies. We see all of this, and we have to, we have to guard our hearts. Pastor Ben said, I can't go to the movies. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying guard your heart. Guard your heart from who you hang out with. Guard your heart from who, because you got to be, again, listen. If you have a drinking problem, you don't go minister at the bars. I don't have a drinking problem. I'll go to the bars, but I'm going to stay away from whatever. I, God, you understand that. Okay, so let's go back to our kids. We, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Well, how do we be careful? Man, there's, I mean, there's just so much, so much truth here. Because think about this in light of where we live, Okay. See, the Canaanites, guys, the Canaanites were dreadfully sinful and wicked people. You know, well, who were they? Well, first and foremost, they were idolaters. And of course, guess what? They practiced child sacrifice, you know, in a, in a ritual prostitution and sodomy. So again, she's going, I want to hang out with you guys. And I mean, they're just completely evil. They showed little regard for human life and virtue. Now, we, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. Listen, I'm just going to say it, man, because this applies to me too. We have to be careful what we put in our eye gate and what we put in our ear gate because it wants to corrupt us and it wants to... You, you see, here's the thing, man. The thing is, man, once you gave your life to Jesus, you're saved. Can I get an amen? You're saved, man. You're secure. But the problem is, is that you want to walk and you want to grow and you want to, you, you want to be that light for Jesus and you want your life to count. And listen, you've got a dash, okay? You've got a beginning and you've got an end and you've got a dash and, and, and God wants to glorify. You want to glorify God in that dash. But what the enemy wants to do is he wants to cut that dash short, okay? And if he can't cut that dash short, what he wants to do is he wants to shelve you in your walk. He wants to kick you when you're down. And so we have to go, okay, I have to, I have to be careful. I have to be careful with my dash, man. I have to be careful with my dash. I want to glorify God in my dash. Okay, okay, I'm good. So, so we see this, right? Well, another truth bomb that we can pull out of here is clearly this is the kind of culture, okay, that Jacob should have warned his children to avoid at all costs. Hey, especially since God had declared that they were cursed and they were going to be displaced by Abraham's descendants. You go, Pastor, preach it. No, here's what I'm saying. You ready? We must warn our children. How? Through teaching. Through admonition. We have to be parents. The, the world doesn't want us to be parents anymore. Oh, you can't say that to your kids. Oh, you can't discipline your kids. Oh, you, no, no, no. We, he, he, here's what, listen, Jacob knew and we know too. But the best way is when my daughter, they're grown now, but when my daughter comes home and says, well, my friend did this and my friend said this. And, and guys, think about, think, I, I just, I'm not going to explain it because we'll be here all night, but I want you to think about the world we live in and what is being, uh, 
being taught through television and YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and all of this. What is being taught and what does is, what is, what is the enemy want us to just socially accept? We have to do a better job of teaching our kids. I have to make sure that I teach her that this is God. We ha- guys, listen, we know what the world is like, and so we have to go, okay. Now, you go, well, Ben, but they make their own choice. I mean, here's what parents do. We want to make sure that our kids, our grandkids, don't make the same mistakes and feel the same hurts we did. But that's not always the case. Sometimes they'll make that choice even if you bring them up, and you go, why? Well, let me just free you up real quick, okay? You're not perfect parents. God was the perfect parent. And Adam and Eve still blew it. Okay? But we need to, we need to be all proactive. We need to be intentional. Hey, man, listen, here's the world. Sweet, here's, this could be consequences. Now, listen, I'm trying to protect you. I'm trying to love you. Listen, you know, daddy loves you. Mama loves you. Here, here's why. Here's what, here's what could happen. Okay? And so, guys, we need to do this. We need to be so careful that we don't say, do as I say, not as I do, because they walk in on you and you're watching some violent film and they're like, Dad, you don't let me watch that. Yeah, but... Another thing we need to do, guys, and this is coming in, and I pray it's the Holy Spirit. Another thing we need to do is we, we can't be hypocrites in our own home. We're outside, we're like, hey, you don't, we don't watch bad movies. And yet their kids are in, children, in Sunday school are going, we watch this, we watch Chucky, we watch... I mean, all of this stuff. And they're like, I thought you said you kids, you know... guys we need to teach our children we need to labor listen to me guys we need to labor with our children if you're Sunday school teachers guys we need to labor with our children the dangers of this world I know they will still make mistakes but it's our job to lovingly listen to me warn them of this ever-changing violent world we say this all the time tongue-in-cheek well you guys aren't growing up the way we did no no I mean, I grew up. I, I I grew up in a world that that introduced the microwave. Man, we put popcorn in there, and we're all freaked out, right? It's like wow. Before we had to sit in the stove and make it. I know some of you are going, huh? We grew up in a world where the phone was still attached to the wall. Yeah, hello. You know, it was a big deal when they came up with cordless phones. Yeah, I can still hear you. Right? Joe, you grew up in a different world. It's all different. I mean, my world compared to Joe's and Beverly's different. Compared to you younger folks, it's different. You'll never know the drama of not being able to text somebody. You'll never know the drama of, of, of getting a text at two in the morning. You just won't. We didn't. We have to teach our kids, guys. Not only do we have to teach our kids, we have to put into practice those things too. The world is is changing. And it's okay to be proactive. Well, Pastor, you worry a lot. Well, I mean, I know that the world is changing. I get it. Well, you need to have faith in God. I do have faith in God, man. But I want to do my part. I want to do my part. Look at verse 3. It says, when Shechem, okay, this is a boy, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, 
He took her, he lay with her, and he violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. And you know what I put in my notes? I just go, wow, wow, right? Because here's a dude, he's the prince, right? And he says, and he saw her and he took her, and the text indicates that he raped her. He took her by force. And there were few offenses in the ancient East more horrendous than rape. Why? If you're taking note, guys, it defiled the woman. It stole her honor. And it brought shame to the family. Rape in this day was punishable by death in virtually every culture until the past century. So Shechem thinks, man, and, and why, why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? I mean, I, man, there's a whole other Bible study in my mind right there. Just, uh, I mean, just how our, young, how our young teens are just like, but he's so wonderful. I love is he, But is he a believer? Well, he, I, yeah, I think so. And it's like, no. Why wouldn't he? Because he thinks worldly. And I've seen so many words where, where guys will go, but if you love me, you will. And if, if you tell him, if you love me, you won't. We'll wait. We'll wait. Notice what the text says, guys. Look at your notes. It says, and his soul was strongly attracted to her. Do you guys see that? His soul. Now, here's what it means. It means that he didn't love her. It wasn't like, oh my gosh, I am so in love with her. It just so, but, but here's what happens, and here's what we need to understand, okay? But sex has a way of connecting souls. Here, here's what God says, hey man, listen, listen, no premarital sex. Don't have sex before your marriage. You know, be monogamous with one when you're married and, and have that. Why? God's, God's such a, he's such a buzzkill man. You know what? He, and, and, and we always, always blame God. He doesn't want us to have any fun. We can't do anything. And, but, he, but here's why. Because he knows that it's the mingling of souls. And you connect to people in a way. And so if you have a reputation, hey, man, I'm a player. I go out and I have all, you know, or you're, you know, womanizer or whatever it is. And you meet your wife and, and there's, no, there's nothing there. Because you've been with this girl, you've been with this girl, you've been with this girl. Hey, I hooked up, I hooked up with that girl. And, and, and so guess what we do? We invent an app so that we could just do that. We invent an app. His soul, his soul was strongly attracted to her. Now, this literally means it clung to. Now, over time... He, he might have fell in love with her, guys. And the Bible says that he talked tenderly to her. Now, I want you to, I just want to give you a side note here. Some commentators believe, guys, some commentators, and let me stand over here because it's, it's, it's just opinion that Shechem actually kept her in the house for a little while. And the text doesn't say, so I'm not going to say, but it indicates that it might, he might have just said, it, you know, he, he had his way with her and he's talking nicely to her and he's, you know, and he's falling in love with her. And, and so I, I don't know, but it might have. 
But I want you to catch this. I know this is what it says. This was not a spiritual godly love that he had for her. This was a what she could do, what she could give me kind of love. Big difference. Big difference. So in verse 4, it says, So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamor, saying, Listen, what does he say, guys? Get me this young woman as a wife. Now, I want you to note the man's heart. Why? This was, it was a selfish kind of love. And you go, how so? Notice but the, the phrase, get me. Get me this woman. Love is not a get me this woman. Love is a laying down your life for her. Love is a laying down your wife for her. Let me give you a New Testament references. You guys know this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, the Bible says, For husbands, this means to love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. As husbands, we should say, I'm willing to lay down my life for her. And too many times, we have, we have people going, what can you do for me, baby? What can you do for me? What kind of world would it be, men, if we said, we're going to do this? We're going to lay down our lives for our wives. I guarantee you, if she's your best friend, She'll be even your bestest friend. It'll be the marriage you've always wanted. But here's our problem, guys. We've grown up in a selfish culture, amen? And we're always like, well, what are you going to do for me? What are you going to do for me? You should like me. Hey, why don't you like me? Look at me. I'm so good looking. Look in the mirror. What she fell in love with is the godly men inside you. And I'll tell you why. Because this all fades, doesn't it? This all fades. What he needs to see in you is the godliness. That's what attracts him to you. The godliness of a young woman who loves Jesus. The godliness of a man who's, who's willing to lay down his life in, in practical ways. In practical ways. The other morning, the other day, I bet Nathalie, we were betting something. I don't condone gambling, but we were just betting something. And, and uh, it was a song. It was a duet. She goes, this, this person sang. I said, no, that was, that, was, that was a solo. She goes, I bet you. I said, what do you want to bet? She goes, you bet, I bet you that you bring me a cup of coffee tomorrow morning in bed. So I lost. But it was an honor to bring her a cup of coffee, not because I lost, but because how cool is it to wake up, put your pillows up, and have a cup of coffee? How cool is that? But you know what? I didn't lose a bet, but she brought me a cup of coffee yesterday morning. Well, the scene changes. It goes over to Jacob. Look at verse 5. And Jacob heard that he had defiled... Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. 
And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out, Shechem went out to, Jake, to, to Jacob to speak to him. Now, guys, look at that verse. Look at 5 and 6, okay? What does that do to you? What does that do to you? Okay? You, you, you go, what do you mean? Man, I, I just feel the intensity, okay? Because now Jacob, daddy hears. Now, I'm, I'm going, daddy, oh, whoa, 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 okay? He found out you did what? Now, my, my boys, now, now again, here, here's what you need to do. Jacob just finds out his daughter is raped by Shechem, and I want you to note his reaction. What was that? It says it held his peace. Now, here's my question to you. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? You're like, um... I think both. And you go, why? Why both? Let me give you one. Let me, it's a good thing. Why? Jacob stays silent initially. By silent, the Bible means that he made no decision concerning how to respond. I think that's always good. I think we need to think before we speak. Sometimes I don't do that. Sometimes you don't do that. I get that. But we, we, we should. Amen? Right? That, that would save. How, Joe, how many fights would that save if we thought before we spoke? <laughs> A bunch. Your wife turns around and says, what did you say? And you're like, oh, here we go. So think. So Jacob's going to think. And he wanted to have the counsels of his sons. Guys, now listen, which would have been customary. So the custom of the day is he would have gathered his sons together. Okay, this is something bad has happened. Now, I also think it's bad. Why? This is my baby girl. He just violated her. And here's what it indicates. It indicated that now Dinah was no longer suitable for marriage. So it wasn't that, hey, you just, you just violated her. I mean, you ruined her life. Jesse is a dad. Doesn't that get you? I mean, when, yeah, see, I, I mean, Alex, hey, Mike, you, listen, here's, here's our mind. You can do anything to me you want to. Don't touch my kids. That, that's really our mind. Don't touch my kids. So again, I'm going, Jacob, what do you, well, I mean, this was a good or bad? I don't know. I don't know. So Hamor, right? He comes to speak to Jacob. Okay? The boys are back in town. Song reference. The king of Shechem comes to Jacob to negotiate a marriage for, for the prince of, with Dinah. Right? Verse 7. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it. And the men, listen, the men were grieved and very angry. Now, the Bible doesn't even say that Jacob was angry. But the boys are. They're, they're grieved and very angry. He had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. A thing which ought not to be done. Here's what blew my mind, guys. The boys are, ang- are grieved and they are very angry. But let's call it what it is. It's sin. It was sin. Okay? They took a girl, 14 to 16 years old. He looked at her. He forcibly raped her. And now he wants to marry her. So, you know, it says, hey, this, 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 this thing ought not to be done. No, it's sin. It's sin. Listen to the way one pastor puts it. Man, I really like the way he puts it. Listen to this. Quote, Jacob refusal to do what is right in regard to his family will encourage two of his sons to do something, something terrible in response. When God appointed heads to do, when God appointed heads do not take appropriate leadership, it creates a void, which is often filled sinfully. End quote. I was like, wow. Now I needed to share this. Why? 
because Jacob is not going to do anything and it causes his boys to do something very, very bad. So here's a thought that came to mind. You guys still with me? Here's the thought, okay? The brothers hear of this atrocious sin and they are grieved and angry. Everybody say grieved and angry. Okay, let's say it again. Grieved and angry. Now say grieved and very angry. Okay, you guys got that. Now, here's a question that came to mind. You ready? Do we get grieved and angry when we sin? I was thinking about this, and I was like, wow. Now, I know we feel bad, right, or frightened, thinking, oh, okay, Lord, I sinned against you. Now you're going to spank me. Oh, Lord, please don't let this bad happen, or, or, or whatever it might be. But, he, but, the, but the question is, I mean, I, I, just think is, I was thinking, when was the last time, Ben, that you got angry, that you got grieved over a sin? And what I mean by angry is not angry at God or angry at the situation, but angry at myself. Lord, what did I do? I'm so sorry. It grieves me, Lord. Till sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until we understand the depths and how sin wrecks us and destroys us, guys, then, I mean, I'm just, oh, oh. And it should bring us to the place, guys, where we're just crawling. Lord, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did. I don't know why I said that. Please forgive me. I sinned against you. And here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. I love what David said. David, when, when he sinned, he looked up. And the first thing he says, man, I sinned against God. That's the first thing. My sin is against God. And so, I mean, that's, that should be the first place. But I thought about this. I just, I just wonder, Ben, when was the last time? Now, we know about sin, don't we? We know about sin. Sin is missing the mark. Missing the mark. And we have transgressions. That's when we go, oh, I crossed the line and realized this was a sin. It's a transgression. It's a trespass. Oh, I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. And then we have iniquities. Yes. You know what iniquity is? Iniquity is when you go, I know it's wrong. I know this is a sin to you, God, but I'm going to do it anyway. Thank God he was wounded for our iniquities. Amen. Bruised for our iniquities. Guys, if you're taking note, here's another another little nugget. Shechem did a disgraceful thing. Okay, he did. The word disgraceful here in the Hebrew is navala, and it refers to a particular serious sexual sin. It's related to the word naval, which means fool, but can also indicate a willful rejection of God. So not only is it, is it a sexual sin, but it's a foolish sin, but it can actually be related to a willful rejection of God. That's what the word means. So what does Hamor do? Look at verse 8. But Hamor spoke with, spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to, Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters, notice plural, to us, and take our daughters to yourselves. Now, quick question. What did God say about this? He said, don't intermarry, right? Don't, don't do it. And so now, and, and so here's, here's Hamor. Hey, let's, let's do this, verse 10. And so, and, and here's the deal. So you shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you dwell, trade in it, acquire possessions for yourselves. This is his rap, okay? This is what he said. Now, a couple things I want to point out. You go, what's that? You ever see in the text that Hamor Speaking for his son, do you guys ever see 
I want you to notice his words are not words of remorse or conviction. He never says, man, I'm so sorry my son did this. There, there, there's nothing there. He's just like, hey, let's, uh, let's do this, man. And, and these are words of an unregenerate, unsaved man. Now, of course, we know Captain Obvious is uh, this arrangement would be seriously departure of God's plan for Israel, so it's not going to happen. But also, verse 10, I want you to see, this is the second thing. Now, isn't this what the world says? Isn't this what the world says to you? What's that? Hey, let's live together as one big family. Settle down among us. Make yourselves at home. Prosper among us. That's what the world says. Hey, can't we just, what you want? Hey, you have to get all crazy. You have to get all, what, radical. You need to be radically saved. Come on, man. Come on, let's, listen, just, just chill out. Just chill out. And I thought, wow, Hamor just represents so much of the world. So what does Shechem do? He steps up, right? And Shechem said to her, to her father. So, and again, I want you to picture the scene, okay? Here is a boy who raped, a man who raped your daughter. Let's just say for the sake of, of argument that he held her there for a little while. And now he comes, and, and so now you got dad wanting to negotiate, you know, a bridal party. And now you got the son, and, and you're just like, calm? <laughs> You know what? As soon as she comes in, I'll be like, you don't talk. We, you know what? We got, I mean, it's, but Shechem says, hey, uh, Mr. Jacob, sir, sir, and, and brothers, let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me, ask me ever so much a dowry and a gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamor, his father, and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah, their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a reproach to us. A lot is happening here, guys. A lot is happening, okay? Shechem jumps in the conversation and he asks, hey, hey, guys, what would be the price for your daughter, for your sister? What would be that price? And then he's basically saying, I will give whatever price. But I want you to catch something. In verses 34, uh, chapter 34, verse 12a, he, he says this, ask me ever so much dowry and a gift. So the indication is, is no matter what the dowry or the gift you demand, he says, I will gladly pay it, okay? So, and there's a whole concept of a dowry and a marriage and everything else, and, and so he's coming in here, and he's going, hey, listen, you guys didn't even ask for a dowry or any gifts, and, and so tell me, what, tell, tell, tell me what, what, what's the price, man? How much? How much? That, that's what he's saying. Okay. Now, while the terms sound good in reality, they are actually increasing Dinah's shame. I mean, could you imagine? Hey, well, listen. How how much? How how much? I'll, I'll pay whatever. Yeah, I just I want her as a wife. See, they're not following the normal process of expecting a dowry and negotiating in earnest to obtain a bridal price, right? So what's he doing? If you're taking note, guys, he's actually treating her with this conversation like a prostitute. I slept with her. 
how much do you want for her? And I thought, wow, crazy. But notice what the text says. It says, the sons of Jacob answered, not Jacob. And I just wonder, why not Jacob? Okay. But it also says that the boys spoke deceitfully. Okay. And they began deceitfully. And I just go, why does it have to be deceitful? Why do the, why do the boys have to be deceitful? Any thoughts? Let me give you one. Because remember who their dad was, remember who their grandpa is. And I wonder if they were just brought up with that all of their life. They just kind of heard it. They saw, you know, now, now, now Jacob's changed. Remember, he wrestled with God and his life has changed. But, but they still have years of, of watching dad maybe be deceitful. I don't know. I, I, this really is a question. I put, why such deceitful words? Why couldn't they just just speak the truth? I don't know. I don't know. Here's the wrap. Ready? They look at them and say, on this condition, we will consent to you. So Shechem's like, really? If you become as we are, if every male of you is circumcised, Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and we will dwell with you, and we will become one people. But if you do not heed us and be circumcised, we will take our daughter and be gone. Now, the thing that jumps out at me is like, Jacob isn't saying any of this. These are the boys. Now, you know the boys have a plan. They have a plan, okay? And if you're taking notes, we see something going on here. You go, what's that? Okay, so you can jot this down. You ready? Evil intentions covered up by spiritual words. Evil intentions. They, you, if you read the rest of the story, you're going to see that, but they're covered up. Hey, let's talk circumcision. Let's talk. Listen, we're going to be one. Hey, man. And I started to think about that. And I started to think how many counseling people, how many times I've counseled couples where, where one or the other have used the Bible as a weapon. They had evil intentions by using spiritual words. Well, the Bible says you need to, and, the, and it's like we'll, we'll pull stuff out of context. And I'm just thinking these guys are doing the same thing, man. Why? Because God instructed Abraham to circumcise all the males born to him or within his household as a sign of a covenant. Why are they? What, what's going on? What, these, these are Canaanite men. Hey, man, listen, if y'all, if y'all get circumcised, right? Not only that, you're going to have to convince the whole town, all the men. Alex, bro, I fell in love. And you're like, good for you, man. Hey, listen, listen, she can be my wife, but bro... You have to get circumcised. I got what? You with me on that, bro? Uh, I like you fighting all, Ben, but now come on, man. Come on, Jesse, Jesse. Man, hey, bro, listen, she's, 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 she's a fox, man. She's, listen, it'll only hurt for a while. It'll only hurt for a while, right? Hey, hey, Mel, you, you with me on this, man? Right? Joe, listen, I know you're, and, you know, I mean, I, it's going to take a lot of convincing. Or is it? You know, because you've got Hamor. Man, hey, this is a decree. This, this is... Okay, so let's chat for just a moment, guys. We're almost done. 
In verses 13 through 17, we learn something very interesting. You go, what's that? Notice with me. The boys actually feel justified, right? They feel justified because they treated Dinah like that. Listen, you did this, paybacks. Paybacks, bro. Watch this. So they feel justified. You guys, you guys tracking with me? What do they feel justified about, right? Well, they felt justified because Shechem treated Dinah as a prostitute. They feel justified. But I don't know if you caught this, guys. Notice that they're prostituting the sign of God's covenant with their own plan. They're actually doing the same thing and using God. Well, guys, we need to close right here because next week we're going to see we're going to see the result of this counter offer. Okay, so Shechem comes in, he offers, let me do this, let me buy whatever price I'll pay for her. Yeah, I want her. And he's like, okay, here's what you got to do. You ready? All of you got to get circumcised. So we're going to see, man, it's it's just ugly revolt. See, see, Hamer and Shechem got to convince the men of the city to go along with this plan. And then we see the massacre of the men of the city of Shechem. She's going, well, Ben, how do... How do we know as we as we close? Well, here's the thing, guys. How do we as Christians live in an ever-changing, violent world? How do we live? Okay? Well, if you're taking note, here's what we need to do. We need to stay close to Jesus. Okay? We need to stay close to Jesus. We need to be obedient, guys, to Jesus. It's not enough just to hear the word of God, but we need to apply the word of God. We need to be, we need to stay real close. Sometimes you're going to have people in the world like Sanballat, Tobiah, go, hey, come out to the valley of Ono. Come on, Nehemiah, come on out, man. It's, let's talk. You don't go to the valley of Ono. What do you say? Oh, no, I'm not going. I'm going to stay close to Jesus. You're going to have friends and you're going to have, you're going to have people say, hey man, let's, let's do this. Let's do that. Let's party. Let's do this. Let's drink. Let's, no man, I need to stay close to Jesus. I need to stay close. I need to be obedient to Jesus. And I need to apply the truth of God's word. Well, what do you mean? First and foremost, you ready guys? Here's how we need to live. We need to be what? We need to be proactive in our faith. We need to be proactive in our faith. Okay, not reactive. A lot of us are reactive. We need to be proactive. Amen. We're gonna we're gonna walk by faith. How do we how, how how do we get faith? How do we get faith? The Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of God. So so what do we do? You want faith? You want faith in a world that that's saying, Hey man, you know what? You're gonna die of coronavirus. You're gonna die of this. You're gonna die of that. You're whatever the world might be saying. Listen, no 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 no. Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay close to the word of God. I'm going to stay close to the word of God because faith cometh by hearing. You go, what else do we need to do? We need to be intentional in our walks with God. What does intentional mean? That means we have to, intentional means you're going to purpose to go. I'm going to, my purpose is to grow my walk with God. Listen, listen to me. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to simply attend church. We need to be intentional with our walks with God. What does that mean? 
That means we come here, we get fed the Word of God, but, but Thursday we get fed the Word of God, we're in the Word, we're growing, we're having our quiet time, we're spending time with Jesus, we're, 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 we're just a beautiful devotional life. Friday, Saturday, we're worshiping, we're loving, we're intentional. We're intentional in our walks with God. The world's going to change, man. The world's going to change. But God doesn't change. We just need to stay close to him. Can I get an amen? amen? Father, thank you for your word tonight and the truth in your word. Lord, we look forward in a way to next week, God, and we see the result. And Lord, although you're not mentioned, Lord, in all of chapter 34, I know your presence is there, God, because we can pull truths on how we as as Christians need to behave, how to conduct ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, when we fall short. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, help us to help us to grow in our faith, God. Help us to water, to, um, uh, to grow, Lord, by, by looking at your word, by studying your word, um, by learning your word, God, by applying your word. Lord, help us to be intentional in our faith, God in our walks as the world wants us to compromise. Lord, help us to say no. Help me, Lord, to say no, to be the men of God that you've called me, God, to be be the men and women you've called us to be. Lord, help us to, to get real and get right with you once and for all. And I pray, God, your spirit would fall on us in our lives like never before. For we long, God, to be with you. We long to walk with you, Lord. Lord, how do we walk? How do we walk in an ever-changing, violent world? Lord, teach us to love. Teach us to love. In the name of Jesus, Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.